ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill. Good afternoon. I'm Selena Green. Welcome to the South Australian Country Hour. In a moment, there has been a major development overnight on the export of sheep and cattle out of Australia. I'll bring you up to date in just a moment on that. Also coming up in this next half an hour, well, there are a lot of cool things that you can do with 3D technology. You'll find out why grain producers South Australia has been using it to bring invasive snails to life. And yes, you'll get to have a bit of a play with this yourself. You'll find out how. Uh, if you'd like to join me at any time throughout the program, don't forget my talkback number is 1300 291. You can send me a text at any time on 0467 991. But first today, thousands of Australian sheep and cattle aboard the MV Bahaja will remain on board after the federal regulator refused an application from the exporter last night. The application plan was to re-export, I should say, of livestock on board the vessel to Israel via the Cape of Good Hope. The animals have been on board for more than a month after it was ordered to turn back from its journey in the Middle East. It's currently birthed in Fremantle. Secretary of the Department of Agriculture Fisheries, Adam Fennessy, addressed the media late yesterday afternoon. The application submitted on 26 January 2024 for the re-export of livestock on board the MV Bahaja to Israel via the Cape of Good Hope has not been approved by my department. This decision was made less than an hour ago and my priority has been to communicate this as soon as we could. The departmental regulator was unable to be satisfied in accordance with the Export Control Animal Rules that the requirements of the Export Control Act in relation to the export of livestock have been complied with or would be complied with before the livestock are imported into the imported country. The regulator was unable to be satisfied that the importing country requirements relating to the livestock have been met or will be met before the livestock are imported into the importing country and was unable to be satisfied that the arrangements for the transport of the livestock to their final overseas destination are appropriate to ensure their health and welfare. In making this decision, the departmental regulator has considered all relevant information from a variety of sources. This decision making required thorough and detailed engagement with the legislative scheme and consideration of all available evidence and submissions in real time as this complex situation evolved. The department will publish more information on the reasons for this decision as soon as practicable. Separately, and in response to next steps, the department is continuing to work with relevant stakeholders to manage the health and welfare of the livestock and uphold Australia's biosecurity. Throughout this whole process, Australia's biosecurity and the health and welfare of the animals on board have remained the department's highest priorities. Applications to export live animals undergo complex assessments that balance Australia's biosecurity, export legislation, animal welfare considerations and the requirements of our international trading partners. The livestock on the vessel continue to be in good health and they remain under veterinary care and supervision. 
There is no suspicion of exotic pests or diseases within the livestock. The next steps for the livestock on board the vessel are commercial decisions for the exporter to make. A range of options remain available to the exporter and the department stands ready to assess any future application submitted by the exporter. Now that the regulatory decision has been made, my department supports a resolution to this matter as quickly as possible and stands ready to respond to any further requests from the commercial exporter. As the Secretary of the Department of Agriculture, Fisheries, Adam Fennessy, addressing the media yesterday evening with the news that the federal regulator refused uh, an application to export the animals currently aboard the MV Bahaja. Jeff Pearson is the Livestock President with WA Farmers. He's been closely involved with this vessel. He told Lucinda Joes that the application has been refused due to complications in Israel. Basically, we're in a situation where the department have taken some time to, to come up with a decision. But what the uh, the biggest hurdle is now is that the apparently the Israel, an Israeli activist uh, organisation has put an injunction um, into the uh, Israeli government to not allow the animals or not allow the government to uh, list a, a, an importing permit to uh, import those uh, cattle into Israel. That's extraordinary. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. On the Country Hour yesterday, you sounded really confident that the permit would be approved. Is this a shock to you? It is, it is. I mean, we, we did everything we, we can. We pulled out all stops to reduce the stocking density of the, of the, uh, the livestock vessel uh, at the department's request in anticipation that we would be able to uh, continue on with the voyage with the existing animals on the ship. Uh, and now we're in a situation where I think the as, as early as Sunday, uh, this activism group has gone to the courts uh, um, to put an injunction into um, not allowing the, uh, the importation of these livestock into Israel. So it's, it's your understanding that, that that's the, the main problem, is a, is a group in, in Israel? Is there any objection from within Australia? Well, um, look, uh, it's, it's all just sort of happened just just quickly yeah, as from yesterday. But you know, I'm not sure whether we are in a position to be able to go back to the Israeli government, um, you know, department to department, government to government, to be able to overturn anything. But uh, I understand how the courts work. Um, that basically, if there is any impending uh, issues within the courts, which there is at the moment, um, they may not be able to be uh, turned around quickly. What can you tell us about that injunction, Jeff? Well, basically, uh, an animal activism group has, uh, has, has listed an injunction to uh, stop the uh, importing permit being issued for uh, cattle into Israel. Uh, I believe that it's, um, it's been submitted to the courts on as early as uh, Sunday, just gone, and uh, also believe that there's a, there's a, a hearing in a couple of days' time um, to determine the outcome of whether this injunction needs to be uh, submitted or, or overruled. What authority does the injunction have? Uh, well, look, that's yet yeah, to be determined through the legal process of, of Israel. I'm not 100% sure of that, but, but basically I think while uh, these, this injunction is in place, it, it doesn't allow uh, the Israeli government to issue a permit uh, to import uh, these livestock into, um, into the country and therefore our government uh, can't submit a export uh, permit to while this is in place. So while the legal process is in place, things have to be in a holding pattern? That's correct. What do you know about this group in Israel? 
Uh, look, I'm, I'm not I'm not sure um, where they how they exist or where they exist. I've heard of them uh, in the past, and they're, they're quite a strong organisation. Uh, I, I would almost um, guarantee there's there's connections to the Australian uh, activism uh, group or one of them. So I, I can't pinpoint any of the any of the names or or. Uh, the organisations at all so but yeah just just know that they exist and they're quite strong. Do you know if anything like this has happened before? Uh, no I think there was something back in the early days with one of the Q80 boats but uh, I believe from just doing a bit of research on it last night that it was submitted but overturned very quickly. Yeah how long does an injunction last for? Uh, well, going on the historical uh, research that I did last night in regards to the other one, it only lasted two or three days. By the time they they'd listed it in the courts uh, and then had a hearing and it got overturned within three or four days. But in this situation, look, it, it could be the same, but, you know, these these things can go on for a very long time uh, in court. So uh, it's inde- indefinitely. So, yeah, it's a, it's a situation that the department's been put in that we, we can't wait. Uh, we have to make a decision, and um, and this, this is a decision that's been made. Is is the issue with the injunction a complete surprise to you? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But this is the the level of of the, the, these organisations <coughs> organisations go to, I suppose, to try and you know, disrupt the process, and they'll do whatever they can, and that's what we're faced with. As part of the re-export application, was there a plan B for the animals if they couldn't be? unloaded in Israel? It was always the, 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 the decision that we've been waiting for the department. There's two options here. The one to, was to re-export, which was, was just a preferred option, uh, and the department um, had that high on the agenda, or to unload the livestock. Now, uh, due to you know, biosecurity issues, that, with the with, uh, potential issues, with which we, which I might add were very low, the, the industry and, and exporter and, and department you know, had every intention of, of trying to uh, re-export these cattle with a lower and, and sheep with a lower stocking density, so uh, that was always high on the agenda. But what we're dealing with now is a totally different issue, um, which has just arisen you know, quickly, which is something that we we never saw coming. Uh, and um, you know, we're, we're dealing with this as it is now as a totally different situation. Yes, and and what happens now? Uh, well, the excuse me, the options are to uh, obviously now we will have to offload the livestock. Yeah, we, we've always already offloaded a percentage of, of, of cattle off the off the ship, but no sheep. Um, so we're in a situation now where we've we've got to find a home for the sheep, preferably a quarantine uh, facility that, uh, that that they that they came from. But understanding that there's uh, a, a other sheep in those quarantine facilities as we speak um, that need to be shifted out before we can before we can discharge the livestock, the sheep livestock from the the ship. Yeah, as soon as as soon as we we can, but the future of of the sheep will be either re-export or process. I believe that we can we can process them here. There's, there's discussions going on with processors at the moment to um to be able to 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 process those sheep, but the cattle I'd say will wait buy some time uh, back at the registered premises and um and look at re-exporting into Israel when things sort themselves out. But it is your expectation that all of those animals will definitely come off the ship. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that we 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 can't get around that now. The department have uh, ordered them to uh, to be discharged. When will that happen? Uh, as soon as we can get some space, uh, I reckon you should probably be looking at the next three or four days. And in what sort of condition will they be when they come off the ship? Well, the the uh, the sheep being prime lambs going the majority of prime lambs going onto the ship will be in very good condition. They'll be in, in processing condition. 
Uh, I've seen pictures of them. They're, they're very good. Um, so providing we can get, you know, 14,000 sheep isn't going to be an easy uh, task to be able to process them in a, in a short amount of time. But over time, I'm guessing that that will happen. Uh, and the and the um, the condition of the of the cattle, uh, well, they're they're a different spec to processing them domestically. So they'd either have to be brought up to spec, which would take some time uh, on a feeding situation, or they will be uh, re-exported. Jeff, do you feel that this situation will um, put further uh, complications into the future of live export for sheep in Western Australia and Australia? Yeah, Lucinda, it doesn't help um, the situation. You know, when we had markets established and, and had been established for a very long time, uh, any disruption puts puts any puts any market in jeopardy. Um, so, yeah, commercially, I think there's there's been some impact on you know, in a political space and also you know, in a sovereignty space as well. So, yeah, ultimately, it, it's it's not a good not a good situation. That is the Livestock President with WA Farmers, Jeff Pearson, and he was speaking there to Lucinda Jose. Deep in the Sahara, the male penguin does some kind of dance or whatever. Um, one note, it's not a penguin. Who cares? The Johnson family is unsubscribing from the streaming service we're on. It's getting too expensive. But how are they going to watch riveting documentaries? ABC iView. They have docos, comedies, dramas, bluey, and it's free. Free, like this eagle. Not an eagle. ABC iView. Always free. Always entertaining. You're listening to Selena Green on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill. It's 18 minutes past 12. Have you ever had a play around with a 3D model? It's a pretty great way of using technology to bring something to life. And in an Australian first, exotic invasive snails have been turned into 3D models. Apparently it's all about educating grain producers and the wider public about these pests and how to identify them. Now, they've been brought to life through a collaboration between Grain Producers South Australia and ag tech businesses, business Think Digital. Brad Perry is Grain Producers South Australia's chief executive. It's good to have you on the country hour. Yeah, good to be here, Selena. Now, there's a lot of different things that you could do with 3D technology. You created snails out of them. Why snails? We have. So we had a grant um, through the Australian Government's Agricultural Trade and Market Access Cooperation Program. So a bit of a, bit of a mouthful, but the ATMAG program, um, had we were successful in some funding to undertake a project around uh, pest grain snails. So... We were thinking um, of doing something that was really outside the square to try and uh, put really highlight and focus some of our, our invasive pest snails that we have in the in the grain industry, both um, that are that are threats uh, are currently here and and also uh, threats uh, overseas, um, a threat to Australia and a threat to South Australia. So we teamed up uh, with with Think Digital, and uh, yeah, I think what we've created is uh, really quite quite remarkable and interesting and, and hopefully it can be used uh, you know across a, an array of, uh, of different areas from uh, yeah from from growers obviously also the public but then as an educational awareness tool as well so these aren't just any snails these are snails that could and do pose a particular threat to the industry that's right yeah so there, there's 17 snail um, pest species either present in the state or uh, listed as a risk to grain production. Um, so we worked with uh, with the state government, uh, South Australian uh, Research Development Institute, for Society, um, to make sure that you know we were modelling these snails as close as we could based on uh, real life photos, 
uh, you go on the on the website uh, off the grain producers website, and you can actually go on and, and move the snails around. So you can, you can look at them in three D. You can look at their, their characteristics, their traits, and also compare them in size with a with a coin. And there's a whole heap of facts on there as well. So one of the really interesting things that we found, Selena, through this project was that some of the snails that are, are threats or present to, uh, in the grain industry in, in South Australia, we, we actually don't know a lot about. So, um, you know, that's probably pushed us to the next step of, of the project is, is to actually work um, with those that we need to work with and see if we can find out more about what sort of threats they actually pose to the state. Yeah, and, and as you say, this is a, a tool perhaps we use across a, a few different sectors. There may be some snails out there that even producers themselves aren't that well aware of. Well, that's right. So what we found when we first looked um, at the photos, so a lot of the photos were, you know, hard to see, hard to recognise the, the details of the snails, and they were quite small. Um, and in some cases, you know, the, the photos on, on Perza's website were quite limited. So what we wanted to do was create something that's interactive where you can actually go in on your phone or visit the web page and you can spin these snails around and really look um, at their characteristics and, and their features. Um, and we hope that that may also help um, yeah, growers in the grain industry to identify any pest snails where they might think, OK, that's an unusual looking snail. Obviously, they'll report it, but they'll also be able to go on and have a look and see if they can pick up any similarities uh, in the snails that we've got on, on the uh, website. I understand this is a bit of a leading project. Something like this particularly hasn't been done before? No, we couldn't find um, anything uh, where there had been something similar done. So working with company Think Digital, they're the ones that, uh, that put this all together and, and put in the hard work. And they also said that it was the first of its kind as well. Um, you know, it was quite an interesting discussion with them about the use of um, some of this technology when it comes to um, pests, uh, particularly on the, on the snail side, but also other things like weeds uh, in the grain industry and other pests outside snails. We think this has application for, for a lot more because basically we're raising the awareness and profile and potentially identifying pests on farms without actually having to step foot on farm often. Um, you know, which can cause a, a biosecurity issue. There's, there's some challenges there. So, um, you know, we're actually able to sort of upskill yourself on, on what these pests look like without actually having to step onto the farm. If people want to have a sticky beak and have a, a fiddle around with these models, where can they find them? Yeah, that's right. I mean, a quick Google search and you should be able to find um, under 3D snails. Otherwise, it's on our website, so greatproducersa.com.au um, slash 3D snails. So, have a look at that. Check them out. Yeah, we'd really love to. Uh, we'd love to get feedback as well on uh, on whether this is a, a useful tool. I know I've already reached out to our lead ag teacher uh, Sue Pratt, who said, um, you know, she, the, the first instant reply was she thinks that would be, be an excellent tool that they might be able to use through through classrooms and those sort of things. And um, hopefully, we'll showcase them at, uh, at our side of the Royal Adelaide Show this year too. So you, you might see a bit of the. Uh, the 3D snails around, oh, I think it's a pretty cool project and uh, any awareness in this field I think is only going to help uh, the industry. Brad Perry, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Selena. Brad Perry there, he's the CEO of Grain Producers South Australia, so just pop that in your search engine, go have a look on their website and have a play around with those 3D models. Uh, you are on the South Australian Country Hour. I'm Selena Green. It is 24 minutes past 12. Time to head off to the Weather Bureau and Jenny Horvat is our forecaster today. Hello, Jenny.
Good morning, Selena. What's happening in the weather front? Yeah, look, it's pretty stable in the in the south. We've got our high pressure system south of um, Perth, and it's just maintaining a bit of a south southeasterly airstream over. Uh, mostly the southern half of the state, just a little bit of cloud around, um, mostly on those sort of windward coasts and, and ranges, not too much going on around there. Could see those um, southerlies picking up, especially with the sea breezes and especially around Spencer Gulf this afternoon when we do have that marine wind warning where we could see those winds picking up to 30 knots around Spencer Gulf for today. Further north as we head up, we've still got a bit of moisture lingering in the in the pastoral districts there, especially in the northeast pastoral district where we have been seeing thunderstorms ticking along um, overnight and into this morning having a look at some of the rainfall that we have seen not too much in the 24 hours up until 9am this morning a little bit around the northeast pastoral district there but generally less than a millimetre but since 9am this morning we have seen um, Unadatta picking up 1.6 millimetres with the showers and thunderstorms up through there so we are expecting those um, showers and thunderstorms um, to be continuing this afternoon, especially around that northeast pastoral district, mostly sort of north of sort of Mari, but they could extend back up. Um, so they are up around Unadatta as well, so pushing back up into the Northern Territory border there and perhaps into adjacent parts of the northwest pastoral district as we head into this afternoon. So um, could see some heavier falls in, embedded within within that. Um, not some of the falls that we did see earlier in the week with that ex-tropical cyclone that moved away but still a little bit of moisture hanging around up there. So we will see that moisture contracting to the north of the state on Wednesday so still the risk to see a little bit of shower and thunderstorm activity hanging around but really up um, near the NT border that system's all continuing to move away to the north. Further south though we'll still be maintained we've got that high pressure system moving closer into the bite tomorrow so still got that milder south southeasterly airstream persisting across the the southern parts there but remaining remaining dry and again we could see those um, southwesterly winds um, sorry southeasterly winds picking up especially with those sea breezes across Spencer Gulf on the Wednesday afternoon there as well and it's a similar pattern as we head into Thursday except for we are looking at dry conditions throughout the state those storms would have moved away to the north um, so yeah dry day statewide expected on the on the Thursday through there again temperatures um, still remaining on the on the sort of the um, below near or below average is still maintaining that milder southerly airstream and again as we head into the weekend still that pattern with that slow moving high pressure system the only sort of notable exception again is for up in the far northeast of the state looks like there's another trough over Queensland so we could start to see a little bit of shower or thunderstorm activity drifting back just into the far northeast on Friday there and persisting as we head into the into the weekend um, and maybe a little bit more broadly across the north on Monday Um, but further south really not expecting too much. We could see a little bit of light coastal shower activities we head into the weekend but not expecting any significant as far as rainfall goes down there further south. So just yeah really having a look at the uh, the rainfall is a bit of a dry um, period coming up for the state so for those rainfall t- figures up until the end of Saturday we are really concentrated up in the pastoral districts um, for today and pushing to the far north on Wednesday and even those falls we're looking at generally less than a five millimetres about the north but we could see some isolated totals maybe pushing up to around five to thirty um, today 
today and maybe up near that, right near that NT border tomorrow with those thunderstorms. But um, further south, um, not expecting any significant rainfall for the next few days there, Selena. All right, thanks for that, Jenny. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Jenny Horvat there from the Weather Bureau. The forecast for the western inland parts of New South Wales for tomorrow, the Upper Western District, a sunny morning, chance of a thunderstorm in the northeast in the afternoon and evening. Southerly winds around 25 to 40 k's an hour with overnight temperatures falling between 15 and 19 degrees with daytime temps between 28 and 33 degrees. For the Lower Western District, sunny conditions with southerly winds 15 to 25 k's an hour. They'll pick up to around 25 to 35 k's an hour in the morning dropping back to around 15 to 20 k's now by the late evening. Overnight temps between 11 and 15 in the day, those uh, temperatures reaching up around 30 degrees. It's coming up to half past 12 here on the Country Up. Coming up next, uh, I'm going to chat to some folks who had some very, very decent rains overnight. Almost their total rainfall for the last year in 24 hours. You're listening to The Country Hour. For more stories from across the country, go to abc.net.au slash rural. On ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill, this is Selena Green. Selena Green. Hi there. Well, it's turned into a very wet summer for some folks in the outback parts of South Australia, New South Wales and Queensland. You're going to hear from some folks in a moment who woke into some incredible rainfall figures overnight. For some, almost more rain in 24 hours than they had all of last year. And when it comes to berries, strawberries, blueberries, raspberries, blackberries, do you have a favourite? you have one you tend to pick up and pop in your trolley more than the others? Well, the berry industry has a campaign out encouraging you to not play favourites. They want you to buy them all. There's a lot of evidence to say that a consumer who buys one berry is likely to buy another berry. We're also really wanting to emphasise to the Australian consumer that at every time of year there is a great value, great tasting berry for you to try. I'll bring you that story soon, but first we need to head to news headlines with Chris McLaughlin. Hello, Chris. Good afternoon, Selena. The Coalition has agreed to support the Federal Government's overhaul to the Stage 3 income tax cuts. It means higher wage earners won't get as much back as originally expected, but people on low and middle incomes will be better off. The Coalition will back the changes but will move amendments to curb the risk of bracket creep. There's been an international response of goodwill to news that King Charles is in treatment for cancer. The diagnosis was made after prostate treatment last month but it's not a prostate cancer. The monarch will withdraw from public duties for a course of chemotherapy. The 22-year-old alleged driver in a fatal crash in the state's lower north last week has been charged with a second count of causing death by dangerous driving. That's after a 19-year-old woman from Devon Park died in hospital today as a result of her injuries caused in the crash. A 23-year-old woman died at the scene at Coruña. Spain and Portugal will donate millions of dollars to the UN body which administers humanitarian aid in Gaza. UNRWA, Portugal's foreign minister, says it's essential not to turn on the Palestinian population. International donors, including Australia, have suspended aid to UNRWA over allegations that staff members were involved in the Hamas raids on Israel last October. More ABC News at one o'clock.
Thanks, Chris. Chris McLaughlin with those news headlines. Well, imagine this. You walk out of your homestead in outback New South Wales to see 137 millimetres of rain fallen in just over 24 hours. And that was the case for Daniel Hayes, who's a grazier at Boxvale Station, around 30 kilometres north of Whitecliffs. Couldn't believe he was surrounded by almost as much water as his total rainfall for 2023. And while he was sitting on his veranda with an ale in his hand late yesterday afternoon, Dan spoke to Lily McEwer about the significance of this downpour. We only had 140 mil last year total. <laughs> and uh, we can't, we're just trying to rack our brains here a moment ago, we can't remember having more than four inches in one fall. So so as far as our memories go, the last 20 or 30 years. How does that feel? That's pretty significant. It feels amazing. And I guess, how's it looking as well? I mean, you probably can't go far, but how's it looking from the house? Yeah, it can't go far from here. A lot of trees in our area, but uh, the water is flowing into the house tank already, the catchment there, and down further as well. Had to go for a walk and pull a few pumps out. Looks very good. How long do you reckon it will be before you're able to get out and check out the paddocks? Yeah, probably at least a week. We're in a lot of low-lying country here that just floods out. In a lot of places around us have had nearly around the four-inch mark as well, so it'll be a while before we get out into the paddocks. How good is it for the livestock and the vegetation? Are you expecting to get a bit greener over the next couple of days? Yeah, it should do. We had um, a little bit of rain mid-January too, around 40 mil then, run the house creek here, but I don't think we'll have any problem with that this time. This rain on top of that, which was already a little bit green, it's going to be looking real good. And were you expecting the the amount of rain that you've just had in the last sort of 24 hours? No, not this much. I've been keeping an eye on it since the cyclone crossed Queensland, wondering if we'd get anything off it. Will it set you up pretty well for, for this year, I guess? Oh, certainly this summer and in uh, autumn. Grazier Daniel Hayes from Boxvale Station. The rains have also been welcomed by opal noodlers in Whitecliffs, with the water providing optimal conditions to spot the shining gems. Whitecliffs hotel owner Sarah Ann Kerr says it's brought many people out and about. Everything's gone green overnight, low clouds and drizzly rain. So do you know how much you've had up there at Whitecliffs? So I think we had 14 mil yesterday and then from 9 o'clock this morning we've had um, 86.4 mil. Wow. And what's the town looking like? And I guess outside your pub, what are you seeing? So a lot of debris from all of the, the um, like the little flash flood. Everything sort of looks really fresh and people are walking around very damp. <laughs> and are vehicles able to get through at the moment? Um, no, not to Whitecliff. Okay, so the sort of all the roads out and in are pretty well blocked off by the, the creeks? Yeah, so Chinaman's Creek is blocking off. Um, Whitecliffs at the moment um, and then I'm guessing once that goes down the Bunker Creek will probably rise in the next couple of days and cut us off again. And are a lot of people in Whitecliffs out and about just having a look at the water and seeing how much is lying around? Yeah there is. Yeah a lot of kids had a great fun this morning before all the creeks started to flood so they're all splashing around and having a good time. Um, people are out noodling for opal it's the best time to try your luck in Finding some opal, it sort of makes it really shiny when it's rained. Just for the people that might not know, what does, I guess, noodling for <laughs> opals look like? So it's basically walking around, looking at the ground um, to see if you can find any shiny rocks. And have, has anyone had any luck yet? No one's striked it rich. 
I don't believe today, but um, a few people have been picking up some nice little chips. Will they sort of continue to do that for the next few days while the water's lying around? Yeah, yeah, it's a really good time to go noodling, yeah. And were you sort of expecting this much rain and, I guess, for the streets to be flooding in Whitecliffs? We have been watching the weather quite intently over the last few days. You never know when we're going to get the rain. Sometimes they predict it and we miss. Sometimes they don't predict it. But this time, um, yeah, the weatherman was spot on. I guess everyone uh, coming into the Whitecliffs Hotel as well is pretty happy and keen to chat about the weather. Yes, um, the hot topic of conversation. I bet it is. That is Whitecliffs Hotel owner Sarah Ann Kerr speaking with Lily McEwer. You're with Selena Green on the Country Hour today. Well, let's head to Epsilon Station right now. It's on the South Australian Queensland border, located about 100 kilometres north of Cameron's Corner and about 122 k's from Inaminka. And it's where grazier Monique Betts has woken up to a very decent rainfall tally. Monique, great to have you on the program. Welcome to the Country Hour. Oh, hello. How are you going? Very good. So let us know how much rain did you get? Uh, well, the original post we put up was 146 mil, but um, at Smoko this, um, this morning we were sort of just talking about it and I was looking back at the calendar and the kids and I, and I had actually tipped out 8.2 mil prior to us tipping out the, the larger amount. So we actually ended up with 154 mil, which is, yeah, six inches and well and truly our annual fall delivered to us in one evening. Yeah, I was going to say, how, how long did it take for that fall? Over what sort of period are we talking about here? Oh, it would have been, oh, it would have been like over a 12-hour period. Like it was overnight, sort of started late Arbo and um, continued through the night. It was on and off, like it was lighter and then it was heavier and it got quite windy and was sort of all... Oh, well, my husband and I were traipsing around in the early hours of the morning thinking, oh, shit, what do we need to tie down? Um, what do we need to tie down and and so forth? But um, luckily everything was all pretty well tied down and nothing, there was no damage. So. Oh, good. So everything is where you left it, at least, for now? <laughs> uh, aside from a few polypipe rolls in the swamp, they're sort of um, where they probably float around, but... That's neither here nor there. I was actually just listening to all the rainfalls around Whitecliffs and that sort of makes my heart sing a little as well since that's where I was originally from. Mm. Um, so what, what is it looking like now at your place? You've got a lot of water lying around? Uh, yeah, so our homestead's right on a swamp um, and, yeah, it is pretty much right at my back gate nearly. <laughs> okay. It's not still raining, is it? Is it all sort of finished now? No, no, there's um, clear skies and... And a good breeze, so it's probably good drying weather, really. But, I mean, in saying that, we're not going to be able to get around anywhere for a little while. So you're sort of you're stuck where you are for a bit. Uh, is there much of a chance to get out and sort of see what it's done to the to the property? Uh, yeah, well, we'll probably go for a – my husband will probably go for a um, ride around on the bike in the next day or two um, just to check out what other falls have been around. We've got a few neighbours who've got helicopters, so they've been – Madly tracing around the countryside, checking out all the water flows. Um, yeah, but I mean, in re- respect of like being able to get out and like go to town, we've actually got a school function next week, but we definitely won't make that. I don't think. <laughs> no. So, 154 mils at your place. I understand your neighbours. Some of your neighbours you've had a, a check in with. They've got some pretty big totals too. Yeah. So um, our sort of like northeastern neighbour, they had 90 mil, and then our eastern neighbour had 
They had 160 mil, I think, and then a bit further east of that, there was a fall of 180 mil. Wow. And that's just a mind-blowing amount of rain. Have you ever seen anything close to that total since you've been on the property? Never. I don't even think I've cracked two inches here at the homestead. Like at the homestead, like I've seen, I've seen it fall out in the paddock. Oh, I think 70 mil was the biggest one that I've seen like here at the homestead or at Epsilon. But mm. my mother-in-law said her biggest was four inches, which is a very big fall anyway. But mm. um, no, and it was sort of been two years on in January was the last time that our house dam was full. Wow. So how welcome is it to have this amount of rain? Oh, it's, it's just, a, yeah, it's the best blessing ever. I um, We still just can't really believe it. We're sort of, you know, we've w- walked into the kitchen this morning and then there's just like a lake of water out the back. It's just, yeah, it's very surreal. What does this mean for the, the weeks and months to come as far as you, your stock goes and the, and the landscape? What will this, this do? Will it set you up for quite a bit for the year? Oh, yeah, we'll do it the world of wonders. Like, um well, obviously, never seeing a fall of this magnitude is um, just its going to be so amazing just to watch, to see what the country does. Like, I just can't wait for it to blossom. It's, it's going to be so amazing. Yeah, because what's it been like leading up to this, Monique? Have you had a few rains over summer? Has it been a, you know, what's the last you know, few months or even year been like? Uh, so... Last year, we were under the four-inch mark for our average rainfall. Um, we, yeah, it was, you know, I was going to say it was probably gonna, looking pretty grime. Um, we weren't too far away from carting water. Um, we did fluke a 16-mil fall in January, but that was, like, quite isolated. There was a few good storms to the east of us and sort of north, but, yeah, just not far enough to get over the top of us but um yeah so it's yeah it's just indescribable things are looking pretty dire and now it's just done a complete 180 how quickly things can change <laughs> it is it is and walking around like you look at the ground and you can just see things just starting to pop their head up like little shoots and stuff it's unreal Absolutely. Well, very happy for you. Great to hear that you got this rain. Very happy for anyone who did get some and are are pleased to see it there. Monique, thanks so much for joining us today on the Country Hour. Thank you. That's Monique Betts there, who is a a grazier at Epsilon Station, which is about 100 kilometres north of Cameron's Corner. It's right uh, along the South Australian Queensland border. 154 was the rain. It wasn't even the highest total in that area. That is a phenomenal amount. How to Relax with Tom Gleeson from Hard Quiz. Holidays. Throwing in a line. A great time. Other fish biting. Hard. <laughs> Cruising on a pushy. Don't forget to pedal. Hard. And generally getting teed off. Don't scream too. Hard. How's the serenity, Tom? I need to go back to work to relax. <laughs> the new season of Hard Quiz. Back Wednesday, February 7 on ABC TV and always free, always entertaining on ABC iView.
Well, in the past week, I've covered a bit about the ACCC's inquiry into Australia's supermarket sector. Now, that's a 12-month national inquiry. It was recently ordered by the federal government. It will investigate, amongst other things, the difference between farm gate prices and checkout prices. Well, tomorrow, South Australia's Upper House will vote on a motion lodged by Greens MLC Robert Sims to launch a separate parliamentary inquiry into grocery prices here in South Australia. He joins me now. Robert Sims, thank you very much for your time. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Talk us through this recommendation that uh, that you will be putting before Parliament. This is for a state-based inquiry? That's right. I'll be moving for uh, the South Australian Parliament to inquire into grocery prices, to look at price gouging practices and, and also the impact of that, particularly on people on low income. And that's because South Australia has the highest inflation rate in the nation and Food prices and uh, the prices of non-alcoholic beverages have uh, increased at a greater rate in South Australia than they have in other uh, places around the country. So I think it's really important that the South Australian Parliament looks at this. We've got a a national ACCC inquiry underway. Of course, uh, that's only just recently been announced. But is this a doubling up? Why why a state-based inquiry while there's already a a national inquiry getting underway? Uh, There is a... Well, there is a national inquiry underway, but we've also got other state parliaments looking at this. Uh, the Victorian Parliament has launched an inquiry. The Queensland Government has announced an inquiry into this issue. And I think it's appropriate that we look at what levers the South Australian Parliament can apply. It's also important to note, of course, that one of the terms of reference of the inquiry as well will be looking at the disparity between what's being paid to primary producers and farmers and then the prices that consumers are paying, because... We've got record high uh, grocery prices here in South Australia, but then those benefits aren't being passed on to our local farmers and producers. And that's a big issue here in South Australia too. So there's a lot for the South Australian Parliament to look at. So this isn't just about, uh, I guess, the cost of groceries and and what impact that is having on people on on lower incomes or struggling to make ends meet. Uh, This will, uh, if it does get up, as you say, also look at that supply chain and what farmers are getting at the gate. That's right. That's part of the, the terms of reference. So absolutely looking at the inequalities here in terms of the impact on consumers, but also what's happening to those that are actually producing the food and why are they getting a dud deal as well. So it's pretty wide ranging, but I think it's really important for the South Australian Parliament to, to look into this, particularly when you consider that, that ABS data that shows that food and beverage prices are going up significantly here in SA in particular. You mentioned there the levers that the state might have. I mean, if there is found to be price gouging or a, or a massive disparity between what supermarkets are charging and what the South Australian producers are getting for their products, I mean, does the state have any powers to step in and, and regulate that or, or make changes to that? Look, I have an open mind in terms of what uh, might be um what what course of action might be appropriate for the government to take. I know one uh, approach that's been adopted in other jurisdictions around the world is to apply some sort of super profit tax to discourage these sorts of um, price gouging practices. I mean, I think it's pretty wrong when you you look at the fact we've got South Australians that are really struggling to make ends meet, struggling to put food on the, the table, and then you've got the big food retailers like Coles and Woolies making over a billion dollars of profit um, that's just not right. Something's got to give there. So this inquiry will look at what options are available to the South Australian government. Robert Sims, thanks for joining us on The Country Hour today. Thanks very much. Good to be with you.
That is Greens MLC Robert Sims. And you can read more about all of this on the ABC News website. There's an online article you can read right now. In it, South Australia's Consumer Affairs Minister Andrea Michaels told the ABC the state government would examine Mr Sims' proposed inquiry on its merits. Uh, but you can also read what Coles and Woolies have to say about this if you head to that ABC News website. This is ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. And you're with Selena Green, where it's just going on 12 minutes to one. Well, berry growers have united in an industry-first national marketing campaign all about increasing the consumption of all four berries. It's called the Berry Basket Collaboration. It's being delivered by Hort Innovation and led by the industry's peak body, which is Berries Australia. And its executive director says that historically, blueberries, blackberries, strawberries and raspberries have run their own marketing campaigns. Rachel McKenzie spoke to Kim Honan about encouraging Aussie shoppers to put more berries in their baskets and how that will benefit Australia's growers. This approach has been um, really positive overseas and there's a lot of evidence to say that a consumer who buys one berry is, is likely to buy another berry. We're also really wanting to emphasise to the Australian consumer that, you know, at every time of year there is a great value, great tasting berry for you to try. So consumers, are you suggesting, will go out and buy all, you know, punnets of all the berries, all those different four berries at a time? Certainly um, there are a particular cohort of consumers who buy across the category, but often, as I said, they, they have their um, moments of glory at different times of year. So um, we just want people to be buying berries every single time they go to the supermarket, pop a punnet in your trolley. And certainly there'd be different seasons for different berries, are there? Yes, absolutely. And we're lucky in Australia because we have such geographic diversity. We are able to grow berries 12 months of the year. And so, you know, there are a few times of the year where there might be a few little gaps. But, for example, at the moment, um, the strawberries in the shops are from Tasmania and Victoria. Moving into winter, they'll be um, predominantly from Queensland. Blueberry production also um, changes with the peak coming through from um, the northern New South Wales region in that October period. But we've also got production in Western Australia, Tasmania, Victoria, and raspberries and blackberries um, Depending on the varieties, they can come through at different times of the year as well. So essentially what we're saying to consumers is when, when all four berries are good value, go for all four berries. Otherwise, you know, just make sure you pop a punnet in your trolley. Yeah, so when will the campaign start and what will it entail? So the campaign is starting right now and it's got a couple of facets to it. It has quite a strong social media and influencer component Um, They're going to highlight the standout features of berries, including health benefits, so antioxidant richness and nutritional density, and a 30-second commercial to showcase the taste appeal on um, on on-demand television. So we're going to have Out of Home, which is the the banners that you see outside supermarkets. We're also going to have some advertising on the Coles and Woolworths online platforms, recognising that a lot of shoppers now buy their produce online. So what are you hoping to achieve with this campaign? Is it about increasing production? Is it about, is it about increasing value for, for those industries? Well, it's about increasing consumption, which therefore then increases value. So it's ensuring that all year round berry growers are being paid above the cost of production because sometimes it does dip below and that um, Australian consumers really appreciate these little nutritional powerhouses that they can eat every day. And have you welcomed the inquiry by the ACCC into supermarket pricing? Yes, it's absolutely important to have a look at the supply chain and make sure that every player in the supply chain is being treated fairly. 
And do you believe that uh, berry growers are with their relationships with the major supermarkets? I think it's important that we let the inquiry run so that we can understand what's actually happening because there's so many moving parts. I would hesitate to make a claim without getting all of the evidence, hence the need for an inquiry. Rachel McKenzie there, who is Executive Director of Berries Australia, speaking to Kim Honan. Well, finally today, the state's aerial deer culling program is coming under increasing criticism from the state's hunters. If you were listening into the program yesterday, you heard from some of them who attended a forum in the southeast of the state on the weekend to air their concerns. Now, the government has a goal of eradicating wild deer altogether by 2032, but hunters, some of them want to be able to continue this sport, which they say has huge economic benefits to South Australia. They've also raised concerns about landowners' rights, animal cruelty and pollution as well. Joining me is Claire Scriven, who is the South Australian Minister for Primary Industries. Minister, thanks for your time. My pleasure. Thanks, Selena. Well, the state's deer culling program, uh, there has been some criticism levelled at it. What do you make of those criticisms? Yeah, look, I think we need to think about why the program is in place in, uh, to start with. So back in 2021, there was an estimated population of 40,000 feral deer in South Australia, and that was estimated to increase to 200,000 by 2031. Now, what that means is that the losses for agricultural productivity would likely become something like $242 million by 2031. So, you know, close to a quarter of a billion dollars in lost agricultural productivity if the issue of feral deer is not addressed. Now, that's in addition to the the dangers on the road from accidents with feral deer. It's in addition to the damage to fences and so on that occurs for farmers. And it's also in addition to the biosecurity risks uh, that come from um, feral animals and in particular feral deer. So that's the reason we need to have the culling program. Um, Now, it's been in place since 2019. It was actually instituted under the former Liberal government and now uh, Liberal leader David Spears was the Environment Minister who introduced it at the time. And it's something that is being very effective. Um, The majority of landholders are absolutely in favour of it because they've had to deal with uh, the impacts, the negative impacts and the losses of feral deer on their properties. They've had to deal with, in some cases, illegal hunting on their properties because hunters come from adjoining properties. So uh, there's really widespread support for it. And I guess I am a little surprised that uh, at the forum, the Shadow Minister for Primary Industries, Nicola Santos-Anti, was actually undermining the policy that the former Liberal government introduced. So uh, it's a bit unclear whether they have reversed their policy uh, and if they have. They really need to, I think, you know, come clean with farmers and say, well, what the reasons are for doing that because the losses to farmers are huge. Well, there is a, a collective of hunters who say that, that well, they want changes to the way that the program is being run. Uh, some of those are around safety and animal welfare. Do you think it, it's valid to look into these? Are you confident that the program's being operated in, in a, a safe and effective manner? Uh, yeah, look, I am. Um, the program operates under... Uh, the uh, appropriate guidelines, the National Code of Practice for Effective and Humane Control of Feral and Wild Deer. Uh, it uses thermal equipment as well as rifles and shotguns in the culls. Uh, the research has showed that the um, welfare outcomes are actually better with the methods that are being used at the moment because it reduces the time between the first shot that's fired and the confirmed death of the animal. Um, so it minimises the time until death for the animal. And certainly the amount of lead is very minimal uh, and there's strong evidence to suggest that the amount of lead uh, that is utilised by recreational hunters is far greater by far than the amount of lead that's utilised in the um, aerial culling program. 
So I think that I do have a lot of confidence in the program. Uh, very widespread support from farmers, uh, as well as very widespread support from the landscape boards and the community because of the potential risks to, uh, to life and limb on the roads. What kind of exemptions do exist for landholders who, for example, want to control deer on their own property or, or arrange uh, hunters to come onto their property and, and not be part of this program? Is there a mechanism for them to, to opt out? Well, first of all, um, they need to abide by the law. And the law is that feral deer are a declared pest and need to be eliminated from their properties. So they've had close to five years to comply with that. Now, um, if someone is farming deer, then that's fine, but they need to uh, be able to abide by both having tags of the deer and also deer-proof fencing. Where that's not the case, that's where deers are getting out, uh, going onto adjoining properties and really proliferating in a way that is a danger to, uh, to the local community and a huge loss to agricultural communities. Minister, thanks for joining us on the program today. Thank you. That is the Minister for Primary Industries, Claire Scrimmer. We will follow up for a response from the state opposition. Uh, we're getting a bit of talk back through today uh, around berries, but also around uh, the calls by the South Australian Greens to have a, a state-based inquiry into price gouging and supermarket prices. So let's get to some of these. Angela from Adelaide called. She said, I'd buy the maximum amount of berries from the shops, but they've now got no taste or flavour. Angela reckons it's all too bland, and if you're blindfolded me and asked me to tell the difference between the fruits. I couldn't. She says stone fruit in particular has no flavour and is too hard. Uh, Jessie's in Mitcham and has a, a similar complaint. Uh, Jessie said berries in supermarkets, blueberries and strawberries are often tasteless and sour. The whole market is dominated by one brand. I generally find those don't taste how I like them. Uh, ones that just come in about deer hunting. Steve from uh, Clare says, why not commercialise the feral deer for the meat and skins? So it's not just a cost. What else have I got here? Uh, this one says Coles and Woolworths have been price gouging for decades. The government's efforts are a little too too late. Uh, Steph has let us know that uh, she's seen $11 for a kilo of broccoli this morning. You've got to really like broccoli, I think, for that price. Uh, and Steve at Claire again also says shop at local farmers markets if you want to get great value and local farm produce from the farm gate. With the ABC Listen app, you can take the cricket with you anywhere you go. Off to the beach. Take the cricket. Road trip. Take the cricket. Museum visit. Shh, take the cricket. Seriously? You want to listen? (laughs) ABC Sports, expert coverage of every test. Big shot, he's out. One day up. Australia is celebrating. And T20. Over the rope for another six. Live and commercial free. So whatever you're up to this summer, take the cricket with you and listen big on the ABC Listen app. The one o'clock news is just around the corner, and so is this man, Nikolai Bellhart's bringing you afternoons. Hello. Good afternoon. Uh, when you pack for a trip, whether it be a domestic one or probably more in a, in a sense overseas, do you pay much attention to what you're planning, uh, planning on packing? Do you have a big list? Uh, well, a, it's been a very long time yeah, since I've had an yeah. overseas <laughs> holiday, but I'm, I'm a meticulous packer. Okay. Do you think about the, what bag you're going to put things in? Yes. Okay, good, because we've got we're gonna speak with a porter this afternoon who spent years lugging people's bags around and over that time has become a bit of an expert in what 
which bags you should take to which kinds of locations and the kinds of things that porters hate and the mistakes <laughs> that people make. When they, so, you know, are wheels in or out? Are backpacks the way to go? We're going to find the answer oh, to that this afternoon. Because not every hotel has an elevator. No. And mm. if you're on the eighth floor, that's a fun trip. <laughs> exactly. You'll come back with some new muscles that you didn't have on the way over. Thanks, mm. Nikolai, who will be on your radio this afternoon. Thanks for your company today and thank you for all of your texts and calls. It is just coming up to one o'clock and time for the news and I'll be back with more South Australian Country Hour for you tomorrow at the same time. Stay connected with your ABC. Find news online at abc.net.au. Select your postcode to see local stories, news and weather. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.